Welcome to Working on Wellbeing, where we share stories of purpose-driven people doing good in the world. We'll meet change agents, entrepreneurs, students, teachers, and big thinkers to learn about their wow moment and how it got them to where they are today. This show is brought to you by Salary Finance, and I'm your host, Anita Ward, cultural anthropologist and chief development officer at Salary Finance. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our show, Working on Wellbeing. Today, we're live from Toronto, Ontario. Woohoo! <laughs> going to be so much fun. This is where we're joined by the always unflappable and always resilient Matt Calderoni, the CEO of Molitium. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Anita. I appreciate you uh, thinking of me to have me on here. I'm so excited, but I'm going to do something and embarrass you right away, right from the start, because before we start, everybody, I want to share Matt's pedigree. Oh, my goodness. So it includes founder and CEO of Molitium professional soccer player in North America and Italy. And to my naive brain, that means that you've played sort of rough and tumble American soccer. And then you've played with finesse and technique, you know, in Italy. (laughs) Absolutely. I've seen American football in the land of milk and honey. I've got to see both. There we go. (laughs) Um, But Matt also is a performance and mental well-being consultant and coach. And before you think, oh, he's coaching, then that means a few people. No, 6,000 high-performance athletes, professionals, CEOs, teams, even me, are coached and around resilience and mental well-being by Matt. He is a motivational speaker. He's a TED Talk regular. And my favorite description of you, Matt, is a limitless competitor. So I love that. I am so excited because we could talk about mental well-being, financial well-being, emotional well-being, resilience, mindset, lifestyle, so much and not enough time. Everything. So, okay. I have waited my entire life to meet a CEO whose mission was to save the world through resilience. That's a high bar you set for yourself. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. And Matt, I'm not normally Captain Obvious, but I have to start with what is a mulletium? What does it mean? Why did you choose it? And this is the name of your company. Well, I'll be honest. So my brother and I actually ended up rebranding back in 2020 of, I think, September, October. So this past year. Because what ended up happening was we actually got copyrighted or not copyrighted, sorry, uh, trademarked. That's what it is. So we had the name, we were registered, we were registered as a business and did everything like a, we'll call it heavy and, and fast moving CEO who's young as an entrepreneur. I decided not to go down the legal route and didn't think that we were going to get anyone who thought of the name Mind Body Fusion at the start. We actually ended up getting on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Um, We had a friend who was talking about us. And then we found out that somebody ended up taking our name after that and registering it. So we had to change. So my brother and I were up in the air. I'm telling you, my brother and I were like, oh, my gosh, we have all this branding that we've done for it. So I said, Chris, like, you're the creative, like, genius, old school, deep rooted guy. Come up with something. And he goes, what about Latin? I said, I love Latin. 
especially us being Italian. So I said, absolutely. So we took the word malatium, which literally means in Latin, um, a form of resilience. And we actually spelt it out the way that it sounds so that people can pronounce it and enunciate it the right way. So now we're here with it and it's been awesome. It's been an amazing shift in brand because it has that cool Nike way of things. So I love it. I love it a lot. And like you say, I mean, what good Roman doesn't like Latin? So I love this topic of resilience that we're going to get into today and sort of the grit and determination and, you know, overcoming odds. And all of that's really near and dear to my heart because you know my personal story. I I lived in 13 cities, 13 schools before I was 16. And then I had this moment where my trajectory was shifted. And I know that you had one of those too. So maybe we could start your journey with what happened when you were 12 years old? That was kind of your wow moment, right? And maybe even in some ways, the genesis for the company. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I'll, I always share this, but it's a, it's the truth. My brother and I fell in love with soccer when I was four years old. I think my brother was about five and we were watching a European cup or world cup. I can't remember what it was. I just know it was the first time I was ever able to understand that Italy had a soccer team. And I remember the blue jerseys and I remember everything to do with that. And it completely just rocked my world. And my brother and I, like, we became fanatics over the sport without even ever knowing it. And um, when we were about 12 years old, my, my mother and father said, you know, guys, okay, you might as well try this competitive thing with soccer because you guys seem to really like it. So my brother was always the skinny and fit athletic one because he had those genes. And I was always the guy who ate a little bit too much of my grandmother's pasta at the time and was always the bigger rounder one. And when I tried out at 12 years old for a team, I was basically told by a coach, you know, I don't know if the sport's really for you. And it was to me, that was the biggest stab in the heart that I could have because it was everything I ever dreamed of since I ever knew what the sport of soccer was. And, you know, I'll never forget it. Like, I I can remember it as clear as day. I still visit the same field that I was told that at and discussed that with for motivation sometimes in a parking lot. And my dad came out and gave the coach crap, basically said, you never tell a kid that in the whole nine yards. And I remember getting home and my mom and dad saying, listen, you have two choices here. You can keep doing what you got to do and you can keep playing and we're going to fully support that and do what you need to. Or you can go a different direction. It's really in your in your case or in your hand, sorry. And I said, you know what, like, let's, let's try and do this. And right there was when everything changed. Um, I actually ended up going back to house league and playing for a lower level team just to get my confidence up. And it was in a team shootout for the house league finals. That meant absolutely nothing. And 20 people were there watching the game and it felt like 5,000. And I saved four out of the five penalty shots. And the coach's kid ran up to me after the game, this little twerp and he said it sarcastically to me and he goes so what you want to be a pro soccer player now and right in that moment it was a decision and I was like yeah I do and from 12 years old onwards I say this all the time I made the decision to be a pro and became a pro at 12 and didn't make it until I was 19 and from that point forward it was like everything that I did I actually started this little journal which was interesting enough to start writing down all the little kind of tools and techniques that I was using. And then later on in life, found out that these were real things like an alter ego, I would get to the field and be a different person. And, you know, it was it was fascinating to live it and go through it. Because that's when I hit my point. When I went to Italy, and you know, I had the whole kind of look in the mirror moment. And I thought to myself, 
I've done everything I've had to up to this point. I got a scholarship when I was 17. I played briefly with Toronto FC a little bit here to really kind of test my skills and then got myself to Italy. It was just something, though, that at a point I was missing my family so much. I was on a stage that I was away from home alone. I barely spoke a lick of the language at the time. And it was like, this is hard, man, and I need some help for it. So I went and contacted, you know, the different sports psychologists, performance coaches and so on. And they all had the fantastic theories that we all wanted to hear. But for me, it was very hard to apply. And it just, I knew there was a different layer there. And that's really where everything kind of kicked me into the mission to say, you know what, there's got to be something else. It set me on this path of just learning what made the best in the world tick and what had them push. And that's how we landed upon resilience. And that's when my brother and I started it. I love it because you say something about weaponizing adversity. And and it seems to me that twelve at twelve years old, that was um, pretty mature to think about. You know, how do I turn my adversity into my secret sauce, and how do I align behind that? And as you said, all of these tools that you put in place that you didn't even know existed. So, at, at what at, I guess for the rest of us, for the uninitiated, what does that mean? Weaponizing adversity to, you know, make the best version of me. How do I do that? It's really understanding that it's not a positive thing. It's not a be positive all the time. It's something that we use a lot here that we call realistic optimism. Because what people don't realize is like, there is to go on a little sciencey tangent, there there was a study done where they went and took, I believe it was about 40 of the top chefs that were about to become new head chefs on the line in New York for some of the world's top restaurants there. And they took 20 of them and they told them, tonight's going to be awesome for you, sous chef. You're becoming the new head chef. It's going to be smooth. You're going to be ready. You're going to be fine. And then they took another group of the 20 and said, hey, listen, you're about to go through one of the toughest nights of your life, but you need to trust yourself here and realize that you're going to have someone who gets annoyed. You're going to have a sous chef who makes a mistake. Your server is going to piss you off at some points, but you're going to be okay. You've trained for this and you're ready for it. And funny enough, you know, studies came back and the results showed the 20 that were basically given that positive is everything kind of mentality. They didn't do as well as the ones that were overwhelmingly doing better who found that, hey, it's going to be a hard night. I know I'm going into this, but I'm going to be fine. And what they found the real tool was to teach this was adversity. And we often talk about how adversity is this amazing and beautiful thing. And we hear the cliche sayings until we're smacked in the face with it and realize what we really have to do. So what we're starting to really realize is, and and it's a major insight, but it's really starting to flip this understanding of we often as human beings question, why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Instead of look at it and say, how can I get through it? And what's the next step? And conditioning yourself to really do that and being thrown into more situations forces you to act on your feet a lot quicker than the majority would. And if you can really learn to weaponize that, like we say, and understand that adversity can actually become your best friend and a stepping stone for the next level of your life in any area of it, you can really start to make something out of nothing, essentially. When I, I first saw this and, and had this idea from you about adversity, all I could do was reflect on 2020, right? I loved getting to know my dog and my chickens, but that mental impact was huge. And you published a really interesting white paper. I think it's entitled Return to Play. And it's really about how athletes and their conditioning when they get an injury, you know, how do you get them to return to play and how do you create this holistic approach to it? 
But I have to tell you, Matt, I sat back and thought, in many ways, I need that return to play in the business world. So I felt like, I have to tell you, I'm fearless, generally speaking, but the first real in-person gig after, you know, being at home and, uh, and not being there, I, I felt increased levels of fear and anxiety, things I have never felt before. So getting back onto the actual playing field and using that adversity and how do you shore up uh, self-confidence and self-trust, you know, 2020 diminished a lot of that. And I wonder if you could take this idea of the return to play protocol and apply it in the business world. And what does that start to look like versus athletes? Although I did break my ankle, so I guess you could treat otherwise. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting because a lot of people don't realize the biggest thing. And it's funny with this whole mental side of things. Like you really don't, re- you, you really take it for granted, sorry, because when things are good, they're great. And when they're bad, they're terrible, right? And it's like, unfortunately, until you hit that bad point or that rough patch, you really just think it's kind of, we're in a field of daisies. And the problem is you don't realize how much you're constantly building this identity. And we talk about identity a lot. And we, again, we say a lot about it, but it takes something like COVID to completely shift what we've been doing that aligns with that identity to really show us that, oh my gosh, what's happening here. So whenever it comes to return to play or getting back to it, the first thing we always start with, with athletes or even business professionals It's understanding who you are and who you want to be. And if you're coming back from a setback, it's who you are. Because what people don't realize is that all of us have the capabilities. We really do. And if you're at a spot where you are performing on a stage or you're even in just the current job where you're trying to work your way up, you've got yourself to that point some way, somehow. And sometimes you just forget it. And it's normal for everybody. We're human beings. We're imperfect. So the first thing that we always look to whenever we're trying to help somebody really get back to that is getting their identity on track. Who do I want to be? Who was I before? And what got me there? The second thing immediately, raise your standards. And it's like, people are like, Matt, that's, that's prude. And it's like, but hold on. You can't tell me that you want to be outstanding at what you do in anything. It could be from being a parent to a CEO to an athlete, and you can't do it with low standards. It's impossible. And one of the hardest things is conditioning that because when you're in a state, which we're all in at any given time of, you know, being in a state of high performance, your standards are higher than you can ever imagine, whether or not you know it. And sometimes it's hard. Yeah, I talked about moving the goalposts, right? Yeah, you can't move the goalposts closer to you. Although that would be American football, Matt. So I'll, I'll have you know, an interpreter there, but you can't move the, I think it's the net. <laughs> you can't move the net closer. <laughs> exactly, right? And it's like, it's the same thing. It's it's just like going into the gym and you're reconditioning from an injury or you're building back strength. You're raising standards by adding more weight on. And you just, you do that with your mental side by adding higher and heavier habits on yourself that allow you to reach excellence. Yeah. I am obsessed with this idea that athletes without even knowing it, learn great business lessons when they're playing, you know, because you have to be thinking ahead. You got to be gaming it out. What's your next move? You got to hide your fears. You got to take risks. And so I wonder, I mean, I think I know the answer, but did being a professional athlete help you or is in some ways, is it your Achilles heel too, or is it both? It's like any metaphor we use in life. It's got its extreme empowerments and extreme limitations. Yeah. Right. Where 
what's interesting about the athlete world is like, and you can do this to an extent in the business world as well, but if you kick and stomp your feet enough, you're going to get eventually what you want because you have so much power within your team to basically change everybody around you as well, where you can get them on the same page as you and really become an issue with that. But you also learn in sports that there's so many different ways, like we follow the same paths of goal setting, but there's so many different ways to attack that goal in sports where let's be real for a second in business. Yes, you need to build skills in sports. Yes, you need to do all of that. But we sometimes run into a fire without any kind of a fire suit as athletes into the business world and just hope that, you know, it's going to be the same as a sports world where you can pick it up in a couple of weeks. But in reality, it gets a lot more technical sometimes. So it teaches you in sport, the discipline for sure of routine and habit and systems to the business world, the big limitation I would notice that it has is that eventually that naiveness of I can go do anything. Yes, you can, but you have to realize it takes a little bit more patience sometimes. Yeah, this might be controversial, but I had a, a mentor, Moshe Rubinstein from UCLA, the great one of the greatest thinkers in the world. He's an engineer. I mean, he worked like on the Mars lander. And when we were talking, he said, I was talking about, you know, my business plan. And he said, okay, I need a timeout stop. And he's like, a plan is nothing more than an anchor that keeps you from acting. And really what you should do is you should be preparing instead of planning. And if you plan more than 50% of any project, you will never excel. And can we talk a little bit? Because I actually think that is the lesson from sports where you have to react and you have to act. And we as business people think and talk and plan and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we fail to execute. So this idea of execution and risk taking and movement of any kind versus planning, I think, is invaluable. Yeah. And you know, that it's interesting that you say that because it kind of goes to the part in sports where, or if anybody's a gym goer, like there's going to be days that your muscles are sore, but you naturally just have to push through it. And it's like, I might only complete sometimes maybe a third of that workout, but doing something I've noticed a lot of the time in the business world, a lot of people get this whole paralysis by analysis mentality that starts to happen where it's like, but it's not following, you know, we're skipping step two. And it's like, I, I used to fall into that trap. Anybody that asked my brother, he'll be the first to tell you. He'll be like, ah, sometimes you just got to let it run. And it's like, all right. Yes. So I've noticed that's a big one too with, with the difference with sports is like, you're almost, you're not forced to train when you're sore, I should say, but you're almost expected like, hey, you're only going to be 80%, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's where our mentality that when we talk with a lot of athletes and even business business professionals, it's like, you know, I think we got to realize that nothing in this world, other than some maybe mathematical or scientific equations are perfect and everything to an extent is subjective, right? And it's like, if you're always looking to kind of have this thing where you're trying to impress everybody and anyone, it's just never going to happen. So it's huge. Yeah, on the back end of that, you know, I'm going to geek out a little bit because, you know, sort of the the OG personal coach Yoda always said, you know, do or do not. There is no try. And I think you also say that try is a dangerous word. And so, but how do you build courage to commit? I love that. So it's really having an understanding a lot of the time of weighing your pain and your pleasure. 
right? And we've, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but human beings are driven by it. We do things to avoid pain and to gain pleasure. And if you get to a point that the pain is extreme enough and it's like, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, I'm going to have so many regrets. I'm going to cost myself this relationship. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm never going to know if I discover my true potential you're going to act. And that's honestly what it was for me. Even when I went to Italy to go play soccer, it was like, I had to call my grandmother who at the time was, I think 73 or 74 years old, who then went and called her cousin in Italy, who then went and called his friend who went and called his friend that got me a tryout with the team. And then I stayed at my uncle's hotel. And it's like, the only thing I, I remember sitting there a lot of the time and be like, why am I going through this problem? Like trouble right now, you know, everybody's operating on Italian time there. I'm only going to have so many weeks to do this. What the heck's the point? And it's like the one thing that kept kicking me, I'll never forget this. Like my friend said to me, we were driving to university together together at the time. And he goes, Matt, how many pro soccer teams are there in the world? I said, I don't know, man, there must be like something crazy, like six, seven, 800. And he goes, don't you think at least one's going to take you? And that kick, that like really kicked me in the ass. Cause it's like, I guess you're right, man. Like something's got to give, right? So it always sat in the back of my head, but it took me to a point that it was like, if I really don't go explore this to the fullest, I'm going to have so much regret on this. And, you know, not to go too deep on it, but my grandfather just recently passed away at the time back then. And it was like, I owed so much to him because there was a whole backstory that's for another conversation where I was leaving, you know, the ICU room and going to my practice and the hospital was five minutes away from where was practicing at the time. And it's like, I did all that. I'm going to see this fully through now. I have to. So if you can build an amount of positive pain, we'll call it where it's not like, you know, it's in an extreme where it's life threatening or whatever, but a way that's like, Hey, if you're really going to push yourself and you want to see if there's a next level, don't go to bed wondering at night. It's the best way to motivate yourself to keep going. Yeah. You talk about engineering your life around your definition of greatness and that mindset and those words really resonated deeply with me because I talk about, you know, obsessions and you talk about making that the reason you wake up, the way you start your day, the way you motivate yourself that really to change your mindset, you've got to engineer your life. So is resilience a lifestyle? Absolutely. It's so much more than I think what it's been given credit for. Because, you know, there's three aspects to it majorly on an umbrella kind of term where there's physical, mental, and social. And, you know, often we get caught in this trap that it's a mental skill. And I'm going to add financial. Absolutely. You can't have those other three without financial resilience, right? Yep. In any way. And it's like, you know, you look at all this stuff because we often see that in this performance psychology, if you want to call it that we just specific specifically focus on this idea of resilience, but there's so much more to it. Like we know that if your body can't handle the day-to-day stress of just having to get up, go to work and be your absolute best, what are we really doing here? Just teaching a mental skill on it. And it's like, people don't realize that everything that starts in the morning, I think one of the most powerful sayings that I've ever had in my life that I've really started to live it by. And we've taught a lot of our people to is that you really need to consciously set the track of what you want the day to be like for yourself. Because we often think that, you know, oh, these external conditions are what are going to impact my internal side and so on. And it's like, I know this is cliche and a lot of people talk about this, but it's so simple, but it's so malpracticed as human beings sometimes that we just don't do it. And it's like, you have to go out there and find a way or make a way. I don't think we realize that enough. So looking at it too, on a financial side, it's funny that you bring it up because I think this year really gave me an amazing perspective on it, where we really understood the part of financial 
but we really got deep into it this year when we started working with a couple Olympians. And, you know, the amazing case behind it was that these two individuals had all the great physical, mental resources in the world. They had the ATs on staff and the physiotherapists and so on and strength coaches. And, you know, the one thing, though, that we noticed brought the biggest burden to these individuals was the financial side. And I don't know how too much it works in the American part. I know that from working with this individual, there's a bit of a financial stipulation. On the Canadian side, it's really tough where, you know, you're not making a lot of money and you're asked to perform at peak levels. And having to go out there and do, you know, the above call of duty work that we like to do for our athletes and something we're passionate about is helping them understand and get financial resource because it's, we know that that adds to the stress of these individuals on a day-to-day basis. And it's a real stress test when you can't go home and depend on yourself. So it's massive. Yeah. At salary finance, we've done a lot of research and data analysis around this. Here in America, half of working Americans don't have $400 in savings. So a third of them exhausted all of their savings during the pandemic, taking care of family and friends, or maybe they were furloughed and just needed cash flow. And then on top of that, 78% of those applicants for loans, they get denied. And Matt, when you look at that through a diversity lens, it disproportionately impacts African-American and Latinx communities. And I'm pretty sure you have payday loans, but basically they're predatory lenders who take advantage of people and charge them 300 to 1,000 percent, you know, interest rates when they need cash. In Italian, we think of that as loan sharks, right? So there's there are these legal loan sharks, if you will. But when we started to look at it, replace your Olympian with a manager, a high performance manager who's maybe on a hospital floor or a, a nurse or a healthcare professional. And when they're financially stressed, they have nine times more likely to have troubled relationships they're seven times more likely to suffer from depression and 10 times more likely not to finish tasks and lose focus. Now, I told you I broke my ankle. That scares the heck out of me when I start thinking about people who are financially stressed, you know, (laughs) in a healthcare environment or a teaching environment or just delivering my Amazon Prime packages on time. (laughs) You know, I I think that these levels of financial stress tied to mental and tied to physical We've got to look at high performance and resilience and well-being much more holistically, I think. And I'm sure that you've coached so many athletes and celebrities and executives, and they just don't know the language of money. You know, some crazy statistics about NFL players who are broke. Going broke. Yeah. Yep. So so do you see an intersection between the two in terms of resilience and There has to be, because what the resilience aspect adds into the financial aspect from, and let's not even just talk about like athletes for like, let's say the working individual, because at the end of the day, athlete, athlete, being an athlete is a job. I think what people really need to see the intersection on is understanding that the resilience part of it is okay. Now what that's, if there was one question that could literally be the, the overarching term of resilience, it's now what? Right. Like, okay, your career is done. Now what? Now, what? What's the next step? And that ability, like I was saying before, of flipping the why to the how is such a game changer for a lot of people. Because even with our athletes now, we always talk with them about it on, you know, this is more about building a brand through sport than it is anything else. And I think people don't really realize that everybody has something 
unique and special to offer the world. And I'm not trying to get all cliche, crap, positive stuff. I'm, I really hate that. I do. I'm optimistic. Wait a minute. Did you just call me special and then tell me you didn't mean? Not at all. But, you know, it's like, I think people don't realize too, there's always another, there's always another way if you look hard enough. And people don't realize that even on the financial side too, you can do a lot more for yourself if you switch perceptions. And we take that word so much for granted where just switching your mentality of investing to paying or to having to pay this or pay that. It's like, that was even a game changer for me as an athlete coming out of it. And even the guys we do work with who are, who are now retiring even, it's such a game changer, you know? So tell people, how does it start? So I know that I started with a baseline assessment of myself, but is that where you always begin the resilience process? And why is your assessment different? And I know how you engineered it was really different. So could you share that with the listeners on sure. here's, here's a place to start because I think lots of people don't know where to start when it comes to resilience. So it's interesting because I think a lot of people associate it with therapeutic kind of lay on a couch and tell me how you feel when really it's not that it's, it's nowhere close to that. And that's the biggest barrier to start. So we actually created a test on our own because my thing was, like I mentioned before, I had a lot of great psychologists that I tried to speak with on the performance side when I was playing and they they were outstanding at what they did. The problem for me was it just didn't strike that lifestyle aspect I needed. It was great for tools. It was great for temporary band-aids, but I needed something deep that was going to help me transition myself. So we created a test in a sense where we realized resilience really is a fluctuating, we'll call it a trait in life because what people don't realize is from one environment to another, speaking on the social side of resilience, you could have all of the right tools you need physically, mentally, financially, but then you're thrown into a completely new environment that you now need to adapt new skills. It's naturally going to play on your confidence. So we developed this test because we found this whole thing with you know certain personality types where it's like, okay, we're not talking on a clinical basis. We're talking on strictly performance basis and life basis. You can change that. You really can if you put the work into it, just like you can your muscles and your body. So when we looked at it, we said, okay, we need something a little bit deeper than the Myers-Briggs, a little bit better on the disc assessment type of thing. So we created ours where we put our science into it that they people take this assessment and it measures them in the four things or pillars that we found in resilience, which is your competence, commitment, focus, and toughness. So competence really quickly, it's just trusting in yourself. It's understanding that you have the required skills essentially to be efficient at a task. It's commitment where we want to be able to see, is it that your habits are going to throw you off and sabotage you because... Maybe you do have the competence you need, but you don't have the consistency that you need to stick with it. So we measure the commitment side. Then there's a focus. Do you have maybe the competence commitment, but you can't stay focused on the single task at hand, or maybe there's too much noise that's kind of happening in your life. And then the last part is toughness, which is simply just having those mental skills to adapt. That's probably one of the most mental parts of the resilience aspect overall. So when we take this assessment, it's not to rule anybody out and say, hey, they're not, you know, you're this one way. It's to basically say, hey, you're here right now. Here's what we would suggest to help you kind of develop these aspects out. And when we have that assessment and we look at it, you know, it's kind of like we've mentioned before, all of these questions are not a, a, an answer of strongly agree, disagree. It throws you into, into a scenario to see how you best identify to react. And by really getting to the bottom of that, we've been able to get a 93% validity behind what we're doing on it without ever having to talk to the person in our lives 
And that amazingly breaks down all barriers that we need to get somebody on a couch and ask them how they feel. So by simply putting them through an assessment, we can understand right where they're at, give them any kind of electronic feedback that they want. And if they want to take it deeper on a level of coaching, or we have something that we call the Mullet Team Pocket Coach, where we've got this cool little app that we have now that we use a third party for to help them align their habits based on that profile to better themselves. It's really easy for them to do because it usually takes about 10 minutes a day. People just don't realize that. Yeah. So for, for me, I'm looking at it from the business development standpoint and, sure. you know, coming off a year where sales teams were stuck behind Zoom monitors like we are today and now back into the wild, if you will, but they've lost some of that resilience. So just profiling the team and then understanding how can you bolster your team and how do you get somebody back in gear and how do you shift that their mindset back to where it was. So I love the idea that I personally self-assessed and then my, my team members will assess. And then we can step back and say, wow, now how do we engineer our lives and recreate that mindset? Because sales is all just about engineering to greatness, right? And how do you, how do you get it to that point? So are there examples where you've used this in businesses that you could share with us? Absolutely. So, you know, we've been fortunate enough to work with some small businesses right up to larger performing ones. And it, again, and even recruitment companies. And like we were talking about with them, it's not a matter at all of trying to rule anybody out, let's say, because that's probably one of the worst things that you could do when you realize that anything mental is very temporary. So when we took a look at everything and we really seen it, with the teams that we work with or groups or organizations we do, it's helping them understand what they currently have on hand and how to get the most out of those people. Because, you know, there's two ways you can go about it. There's an active intervention where it would be like us intervening with somebody one-on-one, or there's a passive one where we can talk to the managers and talk to the leaders and say, listen, this is what you have. Here's how you need to best communicate with them to really get them to the next level, not just keep them where they're at or just use them where they're at, but to move them forwards. And by doing that with teams, you know, we've seen what's amazing about it is that if you really focus on human development in that aspect of it, not only are there overwhelming studies from different areas of company wellness, but really making sure that you know your people. It adds a level of I'll fight for you mentality that starts to happen after something like a big break where everybody's working at home. And then on top of it, if you know that, let's say somebody's a little bit insecure right now when they're coming back, I don't know why that's any different than somebody who's returning from an injury, let's say, and they're a little bit weak on the right leg. So it's understanding where everybody's at to be able to help them get to the best possible version of themselves and in turn, save companies money on having to potentially outsource for an entirely new employee. Yeah, I think there's that alignment too, as I'm trying to build my mindset around resilience, whether that's me going to the gym or re-engineering my life, but part of that is also re-engineering my mindset around money too. So how do I start to build my financial resilience from the time that I'm young till to now? And how do you build that in, I think is an important way that you too can measure this because it's all about mindset. It's not really about the dollars in my, it's about mindset, right? And it's how do I own that resilience? And if I want to be X and want to manage Y, it's about my building that into my getting up in the morning, <laughs> focusing on my day. Um, and so for me, I think 
even financial well-being is the mm-hmm. same as the mental health piece when it comes to changing your mindset and building that inner resilience. The last thing I was going to say too that I think can kind of put everything over on that is, you know, we often look to the effect a lot of the time and not the cause. And the cause is everything to do with why you're doing what you do. Like why you, again, pain and pleasure. Anybody that's tuning in, I can almost, I will guarantee actually that if you have a problem in regards to really having a good grip on your finance, a lot of the time when we look at resilience with these individuals, it's you're avoiding some kind of a pain. There's a reason that you're having to spend it. And I get it. Sometimes, yes, you have to do that. And the pain might be survival. I totally am empathetic towards that. And it's like, if you can really get down to the basis, like you said, of the mindset or the psychology behind it, and you understand how to change behaviors, you become super powerful. Like, think about this. We're such amazing computers as human beings. We've got amazing hardware in our brains that we've never been taught how to use. Without being given a user manual, it's just software. Yeah. That's how I felt when I took my son home for the first time. Like, where's the manual kid. There is a bottom line measurement though, as that we look at. So we know that the impact of just financial resilience among employees can be, I don't know, 13 to 18%. So to your point that if you lean in around your employees, you help them build resilience, then performance is going to go up, whether that is you know, their call center behavior, their sales behavior, their managerial behavior, it all begins to shift. And there's an improvement on the bottom line, uh, anywhere between 13 and 18% with just financial well-being. So you start to reduce those stressors and an employee can, an employer can realize an actual measurable bottom line impact. So I, I think putting together the mindset and building that resilience with a program like yours and a program like ours could be quite beneficial. But there's something before I lose you, there's something that I want to talk about. What's the extra gear? Because I think that applies to business. And I'm trying to figure out how does that kick in? When does it kick in? How do I tap into it? How do I find it? How do businesses find it? So can you tell everybody about it? So this is what's interesting about the extra gear. To go blanket first, it is resilience. Because the extra gear can hit people in so many different ways based on their life experiences and previous trainings, where, you know, people don't realize you almost interact with resilience in your life, kind of like you interact with, let's say, a marketing campaign. You might see a commercial or you might see it on an Instagram channel or you might hear a radio ad. It's the same with resilience, where you might have resilience with your relationships, But on a financial side, you might lack it. And that's holding you back from getting to your true potential. But everything else in life might be great. Like you might be the fittest individual out there. You might have an amazing social life, but those two things are off and it's really holding you back. So what people really need to grasp is that if you really start to study and understand what some of the most successful people do in the world, you can call it resilience, but the resilience allows them to be resourceful. And the amazing thing is, you know, You can give everybody a screwdriver, but only the ones that have been trained in it will know how to use it. So what's interesting about it is that if you really take a look at this whole extra gear side, the point that we try to make is you don't know yet until you work on it, what area you need to add resilience to, which is why the assessment is so important for us, because we can see hidden dangers. We can kind of help you call that out so you can live the best life possible. 
That's amazing. So clearly, Matt, um, you have that extra gear and you challenge me every time I talk to you about being a better person. So this, this conversation is wonderful, but every show we share a lesson and I feel like you've just shared lessons for the last, you know, 30 minutes. So thank you for that gift. But is there something that you want to leave our listeners with something that you might share with them? Take the negative connotation away from selfish. And it's one of the most powerful things you will do in your life is be selfish so that you can give to others. Because what people don't realize is that in order to be of value to anybody and interact on any team, you first need to take care of yourself. And it's something that I've often looked at where people have a struggle with because it's like, oh, negative or selfish is negative. That's bad. But think about it for a second. Let's pretend you decide that you need to take 10 minutes in the morning to yourself to really get yourself aligned and you can't go help your significant other with a kid right now. But you know, in 10 minutes, you're going to be the best mother or father on the planet. And if you pitched it that way to your significant other, I guarantee you, you can find the 10 minutes. So I think people need to really understand, and I wish they take this away from it, is that if you put a lot into yourself and you get selfish with the absolute intention to be selfless and give to others, so you have something to give to others, you will absolutely crush it. I promise, because it's one of the biggest changes I've seen in myself when I started this. And it's one of the most basic practices we use with everybody in any area of resilience. It's needed. Oh, that's lovely. It it reminds me of you um, can't really love somebody else until you love yourself. So bingo, Matt, Matt, I love you. I am so grateful for today. You You shared something in your blog that life is as simple as this. The glass isn't half full, but it's also not half empty. There's either something in it or there's not. And so it's Cool, right? And there was so much in this conversation. I'm so grateful. Thank you for sharing your ideas and your business and yourself. And everybody can find you at malatium.com, right? Yeah, that's right. M-O-L-L-I-T-E-U-M.com. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for sharing yourself with us today. Thank you, everybody else, for listening. And uh, until next time, keep working on well-being. See you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Working on Wellbeing, brought to you by Salary Finance. I'm Anita Ward. At Salary Finance, our mission is to improve the financial health of working Americans by providing access to socially responsible financial products in the workplace. You can learn more about how you can partner with us to help improve your employees' financial well-being at salaryfinance.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow so you don't miss an episode.